Grab your Bibles, open them to Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Today we're going to take a pause from our Acts series to take a look at a story of Jesus that you're quite familiar with. But hopefully we will draw some very unfamiliar lessons about how God meets our needs. In Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, where the Bible reads, In those days, the multitude, being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. Verse seven, they also had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said to them also to set them before them. So they ate and were filled. And they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and Jesus sent them away. Immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmanatha. This morning, I want to talk to you about how God meets needs. In Greek mythology, the story is told of a young man named Oedipus, who had recently been crowned king of all of Thebes. Now, what you need to know is that the king before Oedipus had been murdered by an unknown assassin. So Oedipus made a declaration as his first act as king to all the people of Thebes. He tells them that he's going to find the man and pluck out the eyes of the man who killed the king. So he searches day after day and night after night. He can't find the murderer. He gets desperate. So he goes to the oracles of Delphi. But what they tell him, or rather what they show him, he cannot believe. For they show him that many moons ago in the pitch of night, Oedipus had gotten into a fight with a hooded man. And in self-defense, he had killed this hooded man, not recognizing that the hooded man he had killed was actually the king. There's some irony here because Oedipus had spent every night searching for the guilty man, not recognizing that every morning he was looking at the guilty man right in the mirror. And you know what? He kept his vow and he plucked out his very own eyes. And the legend goes on to tell us that as soon as Oedipus lost his eyes, that's when he truly began to see. You know, dear church, sometimes our eyes, they keep from us the very things our hearts don't want us to see. Sometimes you and I, we miss what is clearly right in front of us. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus is in the wilderness with a great multitude 
who have a great need of hunger. But there's a problem this morning because the disciples of Jesus, they cannot see the need. They have eyes to see, but they don't have hearts to perceive. The multitude with them is hungry, but the disciples are blinded to that need of hunger. Now, before we go any further this morning, I need you to recognize that this is not the first time Jesus has found himself in a wilderness with a great multitude who have a great need of hunger. See, earlier this year, Jesus has already fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. That account is in Mark chapter 6. And in that account, one day goes by, the disciples see the need of hunger, and they bring the need to Jesus. Here in Mark chapter 8, we have a completely different story. One day goes by, and the disciples are silent. Two days go by, still not a word. Three days go by, and you do not hear a thing from the disciples. It is strange because in Mark chapter 6, one day goes by, the disciples see the need of hunger, and they bring the need to Jesus. Here in Mark chapter 8, three whole days go by, the disciples are silent, and it is Jesus, not the disciples, it is Jesus who brings the need to them. But why is that? Why can't the disciples see what's clearly right in front of them? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because if you take a look on a Bible map, you'll notice that the feeding of the 5,000 took place around the northwest region around the Sea of Galilee near a town called Capernaum. Here in Mark chapter 8, the feeding of the 4,000 takes place in the southeast region around the Sea of Galilee in a region known as the Decapolis. What does that mean? Well, it means that the first feeding took place with a predominantly Jewish population. This feeding takes place with a predominantly Gentile population. That's why we have such a peculiar response from Jesus' disciples. They respond in a way that makes it seem like they'd never seen Jesus do this miracle before. Look at verse 4. Look at your Bibles. They respond to Jesus and they say, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? Hadn't they seen Jesus do this miracle before? Yeah, they have. Could they have forgotten? I don't think so. But look at the passage again. Look at verse 4 in Mark chapter 8, because the reason is there right in front of us, but maybe we missed it the first time. But let me add my own emphasis to the reading. In verse 4, they respond, how can one satisfy these people, these types of people here with bread in the wilderness? The problem was not that the disciples doubted whether Jesus could do the miracle. The problem was that they doubted whether Jesus would do the miracle because the disciples had been blinded. They had been blinded by the sin of prejudice. The problem today is that God's disciples, we are blind and we cannot see the needs of others right in front of us because we have been blinded by the sin of prejudice. You see, God's disciples are too busy looking at the race to recognize the challenges that other cultures face. 
God's disciples are too busy looking at the skin to recognize the need within. Hey, so they can see that you're black, but they can't see what you lack. They can see that you're white, but they can't see what isn't right. They can tell that I'm brown, but they can't tell when I'm down because, well, we are prejudiced and we cannot see the need. Now, women pastors who are pastoring and who will pastor one day, our churches can see that you've been installed, but they cannot see that you've been called because we are prejudiced and we cannot see the need. But listen very carefully because the Bible doesn't just show that we are prejudiced to skin, but we're more prejudiced about certain particular sins. So we can see a homosexual's lifestyle, but we cannot see that they are still God's child. We can see a woman who's had an abortion, but we cannot see that she is a victim of a system's extortion. We can see a man who is a drug, alcohol, or porn addict, but we cannot see that at the end of their day, they had no one else to turn to when they've had it. See, God's disciples, we cannot see the needs of those in front of us. We are indifferent to the needs of those around us because we have been blinded by the sin of prejudice. That's according to our passage this morning. But let's uncover the second reason for why the disciples couldn't see the need. If you take a look at Mark chapter 6, during the first feeding, the disciples had just finished a missionary journey with Jesus. They'd finished a practicum with Jesus. And the passage says specifically in Mark chapter 6 that they did not have time to eat. It says that specifically. They did not have time to eat. So yes, the disciples saw the need of hunger the first time because they were serving fellow Jews and not filthy Gentiles but they could see the need the first time because they were hungry too. In fact, in Mark chapter six, when Jesus asked them, how many loaves do you have? The text says that they have to go out and search for some food. And the gospel of John tells us that Andrew finds a little boy with five loaves and two fish. That's just to reiterate the point that the first time the disciples were hungry too. Here in Mark chapter 8, we have a completely different story. Jesus asks his disciples, how many loaves do you have? The disciples don't have to go out and search for some food. The disciples don't have to beg a little boy for some bread. They quickly respond, we have seven. What this shows us is actually rather disturbing. Because what it shows us is that the great Gentile multitude for the past three days had been starving while the disciples had been eating. You see, the disciples couldn't see the need because they were blinded by their own greed. They were blinded by what you and I today would call prosperity. They had more than enough. The problem today is that God's disciples, we are blind 
and we cannot see the needs of others right in front of us. We are indifferent to the needs of those around us because we have been blinded by our prosperity. Now listen, I'm not only talking about financial prosperity, because I recognize here today that some of us are loaded and others of us are not. But please, listen very carefully. This church is about to open in a couple of weeks. And people come to this church and churches all around the world. And they come desperately lonely, searching for new friends, hoping to find a church community. But we don't even see that they're here because we have plenty of friends. Others of us can't see that our friends who we do have are in deep pain and are going through a lot of trouble. But we can't see that because we're too busy talking about our own pleasures. You know, on an institutional level, our churches cannot see that the communities are in poverty when they have plenty of tithe money. So we build big churches and we build huge conference offices. We spend millions of dollars on how to look nice while neglecting those who can barely afford rice. God's people cannot see when their neighbors are spiritually poor because we are so full with sermons that to witness makes us snore. God's people, we cannot see the needs of the others right in front of us. We are blinded and indifferent to the needs of those around us. Because according to our passage this morning, we have been blinded by our prejudice and by our prosperity. But despite all of our faults, there are still good news today. Despite of all of our shortcomings, we can still have hope today. We can still have joy today. We can still praise God today because we serve a God who is not blind like me. We serve a God who can see. The Psalms say that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. You don't feel righteous? That's okay. Listen to what the Proverbs say. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch over the evil and the good. Still not convinced? Jesus says that God the Father sees your need before you see your need. Jesus sees your need. Jesus sees all your needs, even the needs you don't see for yourself. Notice in our story that Jesus did not feed the need of hunger when the initial need of hunger took place. Because you and I know that hunger takes place in one day or less. You know, as you're listening to me here right now, you're probably wondering, when is this guy gonna stop talking? I'm ready to eat lunch. <laughs> you see, Jesus permitted the need of hunger to persist for three days because for three days, Jesus was meeting more important needs. The context shows us that he was healing the brokenhearted, setting the captives free, making the lame walk again, and causing the blind to see. You see, Jesus, he permitted the need of hunger to persist for three days, because for three days, 
Jesus was meeting more important needs. Hey, kids, if you're still around, come listen to this. This part of the sermon's for you. You know, as a, as a kid, I used to sit outside on the porch of my house and I'd watch my dad go to work and come home in his big red Chevy truck. Oh, it was a beautiful truck. And I used to tell myself as a little boy, four-year-old kid, I'm going to drive that big red truck one day. And so one morning I was sitting outside on my porch. The truck was out there and I said to myself, today's my day. Today I'm going to drive my dad's big red Chevy truck. So I jumped off the porch, I scurried down the driveway, I hopped into the truck, and I started to pretend to drive my dad's big red truck. I moved the wheel. Oh, that was so much fun. I rolled the windows down and I rolled them up. That was a lot of fun too. I honked the horn. That was probably my favorite thing. And then I noticed to the corner of my body, a stick-like figure with a little knob on the top. And I thought to myself, I've seen dad move that before. I'm gonna move that myself. And so I started to move it up and down and left and right. And before I knew it, I had moved my dad's truck from park to neutral. And I slowly began to feel the truck move down the driveway. Now, boys and girls, if any of this ever happens to you, there are two buttons at the bottom of the truck where your feet are. The right button is the go button. They call it the accelerator. Don't press that one. But the left one is the brake. You're supposed to press that one. Uh, but I didn't do that. I panicked. I scurried from the driver's seat into the passenger seat. I panicked and I opened the passenger door. And with all my might, I screamed as I jumped and flailed out of the truck. Ah! And I landed on the concrete and I smashed my knee on the concrete and it was bleeding really terribly. And then I watched my dad's big, nice Chevy truck roll down the driveway, turn up as it hit the street, and then I watched it go down the street slowly as it picked up speed and went faster and faster and faster as I watched it turn towards my neighbor's house. You know, parents, kids cost us money, don't they? <laughs> they cost us money. They take our time. They take our sleep. Uh, they also say that the uh, apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Uh, my wife, a uh, very supportive woman, uh, especially as I've been working in the church for a little bit, and she wakes up with the kids in the morning. Uh, I ask her, why do you wake up with the kids in the morning? If you ask her that, she'll say, well, I have three kids, I have three babies, and if I don't wake up with them in the morning, then I'll have four to take care of. <laughs> well, one Sunday morning, I was uh, sleeping in, and my youngest, or my oldest son at the time, who was just two years old, he, he nudged me on the shoulder while I was sleeping, and he said, Daddy, Daddy, look, Daddy, look. <laughs> 
And I thought to myself, come on, Evan, let me sleep in. But he wouldn't leave me alone, and he kept nudging. Look, Daddy, look. So I got up, and um, that's his way of saying, look, 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 Daddy. He said, okay. And so he showed me into the bathroom, and uh, he led me into the bathroom, and there my son was. He was doing something that his daddy likes to do. He was baptizing. Except he was baptizing my non-waterproof iPhone 6 in the toilet. Saying, look, Daddy, look. <laughs> uh, we love our kids, but they cost us money sometimes, don't they? Uh, I remember later on in that same month, my wife and I were in the kitchen, and we heard a flush in the toilet nearby. Flush. And out came Evan running, telling Daddy, look, look, Daddy, look. Look, Daddy, look. I said, what, Evan? We looked into the bathroom and we couldn't see anything. And we wondered, what did he want us to look at? It wasn't until a couple minutes later we realized, wait a second, where are our car keys? We can't find them anywhere. Our son had flushed our last pair of car keys down the toilet. And he's saying, look, Daddy, look. You know, I had to get my car towed from the house to the dealership, and I had to get new keys for it. It cost a lot of money. And so I say this because I know a little bit of the pain that I caused my father that one day as I was a child. As I watched that big red Chevy truck roll down the driveway, pick up speed and roll down the street and watched it turn into my neighbor's direction. And the next thing I heard was smash. The truck had smashed, fortunately, into the neighbor's tree, which was right in front of the neighbor's house. And I remember in this moment, having my knee bleeding, the truck broken. I ran to the front of my house and there my dad met me and I said, Dad, Dad, uh, look, look, my knee is bleeding. And, and look, look, I broke your truck, my knee, the truck. And I remember to this day, I remember to this day very clearly getting angry at my dad. <laughs> because instead of going to help my knee and stop it from bleeding, instead of going and running down the street, to go get his truck that I'd smashed, he started to do something with my head. And in my mind, I was angry at my father because I said, Dad, don't you see my knee? Don't you see your truck? What are you doing messing with my head? You see, what I didn't realize is that in my panic of jumping out of the truck and out of the passenger side of the truck, I had clipped my head on the left side of my head at the edge of the door so badly that my head actually began to bleed far worse than my knee. And I know what someone might be thinking right now. Okay, that's what's wrong with this guy. That's why he's rhyming so much. <laughs> uh, why am I telling you this story? Because my father, who was a good father, who loved me and took care of me as a kid, he went to take care of a bigger problem, my head, before he went to fix my knee or even his own truck. You know, sometimes you and I, we run to God the Father with a hurt knee 
or a broken truck. We come running for more money. We come running for a better relationship. We come running for better health or a better job. The list goes on and on. And we might be tempted to believe when God doesn't answer our list of requests the way we want, we might be tempted to believe that God does not see, that God does not hear. When the truth is, God sees our knees and our trucks, but he's busy working on our heads. Because the truth is, God cares more about our character and less about our circumstance. So we run to God for more money, but God wants to give us more faith. We run to God for a relationship, but God wants to give us deeper intimacy with him. We run to God for this coronavirus to be over so life can go back to normal. But God, he wants the sin virus in our hearts to be over and for our lives to never be normal again. Because God, he cares more about our character and less about our circumstances. We keep running to God for our needs, thinking God does not see and God does not hear. When the truth is God sees our minor needs, but he's busy working on our major needs. We come to God and we say to him, Lord, look at my circumstance. You see the trouble that's going on in my life. Please, Lord, remove me from my circumstance. But God, in his love, God, in his wisdom, and foreknowledge, God, in his saving grace, he leaves us in that circumstance so that he can work on our characters. Not just so that we can become good people, no, but so that he can save us, so that he can save you, so that he can save your family, he can save your friends, he can use you as a witness that will last for eternity. Because here's the thing, we're always looking at the short term, but God's looking down the field. We're always looking at investing into small things for the short term like GameStop, but God is in the index funds. He sees from the end, from the beginning, and he knows exactly the circumstance we need to be in so that we can have the best chance possible at making it to the kingdom. You know, there is a reason. There is a reason that Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things, all these needs will be added unto you. Please don't get me wrong this morning. God does care about your circumstances. He just cares more about your character. You let him work on your character. And trust me. No, trust him. He will work on your circumstances. Uh, but let's get back to the story. The character of the 4,000 had been worked on. They were now spiritually full, but now physically hungry. So I can imagine uh, Jesus rolling up his sleeves. It was time to finish the job. It was time to work on their circumstances. The disciples had 
seven loaves and a few fish. Jesus said, that's enough. Sit the people down. Jesus gave thanks. He broke the bread. He split the fish. And the text says that all the people ate. Not just the men or just the women. Not just the rich people or just the poor people. Not just the black people or just the white people. Not just the elderly people or just the young people. Not just the Adventist people, but all the people in that crowd of 4,000 and more, they ate and they ate. Now listen, I'm not a math whiz. I don't really count very well. Uh, but I noticed that the passage said that there were seven baskets of food left over. You know, we Seventh-day Adventists, we recognize and understand the importance of the number seven. Because number, the number seven, it represents completion. It represents wholeness. It represents utter perfection. The truth for you and I today is that when God sees your need, God will feed your need. And when he feeds your need, he will do it in such a way that you will be complete. You will be whole. You will be perfectly satisfied. So today, are you famished for faith? God will feed your need. Today, are you hungry for holiness? God will feed your need. Today, are you ravenous for righteousness? God will feed your need. Are you craving companionship? Is your bank account bankrupt? God will feed your need. See, we might be blind, but we serve a God who can see. And he's able? I said he is able to do abundantly more than we can ask or think. Because like he opened the eyes of his disciples and used them to feed the great multitude in their day, he can open my eyes, he can open your eyes, and he can use us to feed the great multitude in these last days. But you know what? I can see that I'm out of time. Ah, so let me leave you with this. I've been able to serve on a university campus and spend over 10 years of my life on Adventist academic institutions. And I can tell you the importance of credentials because they signify to the world that you have what it takes to get the job done. As I leave this morning, I need to remind you that Jesus Christ, he comes with all the credentials required to meet your need. You see, zoologists, yeah, zoologists, they call him Lion of Judah. Botanists, they call him Tree of Life. Engineers call him Strong Tower. Doctors call him Great Healer. Mathematicians call him the Alpha and the Omega. Politicians call him King of King and Lord of Lords. But do you know what I like? I like what cooks call him. Because cooks call him the bread of life. Because when you take a bite out of the broken body of Jesus Christ, you will never hunger again. My God will feed your need.